And when we have, you know, a higher psychological flexibility, we are able to deal with life's challenges better. That's just true. So when things like, you know, pandemics come up or when things like, you know, changes in our child's, you know, health or wellness comes up, we're able to be a little bit more flexible and think of solutions instead of just really staying stuck in that yucky, icky feeling. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today we have Caitlin Soule on the podcast. Caitlin is a therapist, a maternal mental health and anxiety expert, author, and also a herself listener. It's been really fun to connect with Caitlin over the last couple months, and Abby and I both read her book as we prepared for this interview. Caitlin, could you let our audience know a little bit more about who you are and your reason behind writing your book, A Little Bit Less of a Hot Mess? Absolutely. Thanks, you guys, for having me on, or I should say, ladies. This has been a dream of mine. I love your podcast. I love the interviews that you do. So, thank you first for having me on. A little bit about who I am beyond my role as a therapist and as an author. I'm a mom to three kids. I have two girls who are six and newly eight years old, and I have a little boy who's four. And so life is very full. I have a husband who's a firefighter, first responder. Our schedules are hectic and crazy, and we're just doing our best to kind of always figure out how to both be able to have our careers and do all the things like so many people these days. So that's, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. I wanted to write this book really because I knew that there was so much that we as women and moms experience that we just don't talk about or things that we struggle with that we feel so alone in. And I got to have this unique perspective because not only am I a mom, but I also work with women and moms as a therapist. So after, you know, years of sitting down and hearing similar stories, I realized that there's all these places that we get stuck and no matter what kind of people were coming into therapy, you know, whether it was, you know, virtual therapy or in the room therapy for, there was these similar kind of themes that would run across the work that we would do. So I always thought about writing about it. It never seemed to be the right time. Then 2020, March of 2020 pandemic hit. And I had a little lull in my practice because people kind of didn't really know what was going on. A lot of people canceled therapy that lull was very short-lived because we entered- <laughs> I was going to say, I feel, I feel like I picked up. <laughs> <laughs> we entered a mental health crisis shortly thereafter. You know, we were already in one and that just made it worse. So in that time, I decided I was going to write a book because I knew, I thought I knew, and, and I was right that not only would I need more support, but women across the globe would. And so I wanted to take these kind of learnings from my clinical work, sort of off the couch and put them in the world by creating, you know, my book, A Little Less of a Hot Mess, which has these 12 invitations into what I call imperfect, you know, growth and evolution. 
And Caitlin, you and I were chatting right before we started the interview. And I guess because we did that, I forgot to loop the listeners in that Abby is actually not here today because she is taking care of a sick child. All three of us have three kids. So we figured if we canceled because we had one sick child, we might never get this done. That is so true. (laughs) You guys are not going to hear Abby today, but she did help write the question. So I will definitely represent her personality type to the best of my ability. (laughs) So let's dive into the title of your book. As the listeners know, we've had so many therapists on our podcast before. And a lot of them to the outside world, they're really appearing like they have it all together, whether that's on purpose or by accident. But the title of your book is a little bit less of a hot mess. So as a therapist and as an author, I would love to kind of hear why you decided to, instead of show up like, I have it all together, follow me, do what I do, you decided to be a little bit more vulnerable. And I would love to hear you talk about that decision. You know, (laughs) I have always been jokingly, but probably not so jokingly called a little bit of a hot mess in all the different arenas of my life. And internally, I have felt like a hot mess, yet I... And really functional. I don't know if I said that very well, but I, <laughs> that makes sense to me because I don't have it all together, but I'm like a very like functional adult. Yes. Like somehow I manage. I've always said, like, if I have one expert skill, I think it's thinking on my toes and getting shit done, right? Like I, I just figure it out. And so I, as a therapist, you know, backing into kind of like why we feel we have to present in this very professional kind of always having our stuff together way is because that's how we were trained, you know, in graduate school, I believe that this is shifting, but there's this narrative that like, you know, therapists should be a blank slate. They shouldn't make things about them. They shouldn't show their personality. We should kind of uphold the utmost professional standards, which is all really important things, right? But I found that narrative really limiting my ability to show up as my whole self as a therapist. And I had all the formal training. You know, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist specialist. I had really come into my own work as a therapist thinking that I had to look like how other therapists made it look, right? And there's so many parallels to this in motherhood and everything else. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I was exhausted. I was finding it so exhausting, hiding all the parts of myself that were imperfect. And I just felt like I couldn't do it. So I decided to practice what I preach and started investing in my own therapy and personal growth work. I was you know, doing some pretty heavy healing work. I had some past trauma that I had never dealt with that resurfaced once I had my own children. And through that, like couple year experience of therapy and personal growth work, I really got to, for the first time ever, experience my own sense of integration. And, you know, as a clinician, I know that we all live more healthy when we sort of integrate all the parts of ourself, but getting to experience that for myself was really powerful because it gave me the agency, I think, to recognize that I could show up exactly as the hot mess that I was and still be a really good therapist, still be a really good mom, be a good wife, a good friend, as long as I was like owning it and, you know, making room for myself to be imperfect. And so 
you know, and from there, everything shifted because I really started to be able to build the practice I wanted to build, to build the brand that I wanted to build, to start my own podcast and to write the book. So it really is amazing what happens. I think when we decide to like, just go oh, enough, like I'm so done trying to be perfect. Yeah. I feel like for me, that really started happening in my thirties. You just kind of like, hopefully have more of a sense of self and you realize it's you know, more exhausting to try to hide the parts of you that we've been taught over time, whether that was school or whether that's how your family is, like what we need to tuck away, that's more exhausting than just being who we are wherever we go. It's so true. It is so exhausting. And it didn't leave room for me to actually like highlight the parts of myself. Like I said before, thinking really good on my toes, like being kind of funny. And like, I kind of lost those parts of myself and trying to keep it all together. And so I really wanted to walk the walk through giving myself permission to be fully who I am, hopefully give other people the permission to do the same. For sure. Okay. Now we're going to move into something that makes me feel sad, but I know that the data is clear and that a lot of moms feel like they are sinking. So anxiety, overwhelm, burnout. These are words that we hear from our listeners, our friends, our community all the time. So we would love it if you could share your three R's framework and how listeners can use this to find authentic self-care and avoid burnout. Yeah. So I created the imperfect growth and evolution model using the three R's and the three R's are rewrite, restore and reclaim. And the first part rewrite is this notion that we, while we can't recreate our past and our history, or, you know, basically the things that we learned as young children, we can rewrite the narrative. We can rewrite the stories that we tell ourselves now. And the way that we do that is we have to start in, in the second chapter of the book, I talk about reflecting back on our past, not so that we could like do that whole, you know, therapist. I think a lot of people are afraid of going to therapy. They're like, I don't want to like relive every moment from my past. You don't actually have to do that, but you do have to be willing to look at, at what points in your life did you pick up on different beliefs? What was going on in your life at that time? Who told you that was true? I'll give a tangible example. You know, if you believe that you know, now say you're a young mom and you believe that, or a mom of young children, you believe that moms have to do it all and be it all and look perfect while doing it. And, you know, that moms, we need to sacrifice everything for our children. You know, it would be helpful to look back at our past and figure out, you know, was that something that I learned from my mom? Was that something that I learned from my grandma or from just culture and society? Cause that's real too. And, you know, maybe that's not your story, but the idea is looking back at where did I learn that? And is that serving me right now? And this is where our values come in. I think that rewrite piece starts with questioning what are the stories I've been told and do they line up with my right now values? And then I give the readers tools, you know, around how to actually rewrite their narrative. So how to do that shifting from, for example, I need to be the one to do it all, be it all to, you know, I'm a good mom, even when, and especially when I would say I take time for myself or I ask for help. So that's a really crucial piece of the model. 
The second piece of the model is restore. And this is where we really tap into our values. And, you know, that word is tossed around a lot these days, and it is really important. But basically, what tapping into our values looks like is not what we think we should be or do or how we should be a mother or a human or a wife, whatever it is, or a friend. It's about what makes us feel most like ourselves. What are the things that we feel most connected to? And so examining what we value, I walk you through ways to do that in the book. There's 5 million ways, you guys, as you know this, to like do these values exercises. But at the end of the day, what's most important to you? You know, what do you want to be remembered as or by? And taking the time to think about that. We don't often do that in today's world. We just kind of move so fast. We forget. It's really important to think about what our values are. And then we get to use those values and kind of like do this little backwards thing where we're like, okay, now I'm going to use those values to help rewrite my narrative. What do I want to believe? What do I want to live into? And the third part is the reclaiming. And the reclaiming is choosing to let those new narratives and those new values lead your way forward. And I say this, you know, a lot is my goal is to help women let their values lead them instead of their fear, because I absolutely know what it feels like to be led by fear and doubt and mom guilt and all these things. And so we're not going to do it perfectly. That's the whole point, right? Of the imperfect growth model is that we're going to just keep practicing. And how we do that is by doing small things or big things, but things each day to live in line with our values. And that can look like, you know, resisting the urge to give into the mom guilt that tells you you shouldn't Mm -hmm. go for that run or that you shouldn't you know, take that call, whatever it is. So the reclaim piece is really the putting it into action step. Ooh, that was a lot to take in Caitlin. And so just so everyone knows, we're going to dive more into each of those frameworks so that we can understand them a little bit better. I did love the end there when you were talking about reclaim. A lot of our listeners know my life was like run by mom guilt when I had my first child. And I really had to start questioning it. Like you said, like I could barely go for a run. And then I started thinking like, do I really believe that moms don't deserve to go exercise? Or even when I would go on a date with my husband, I would feel so bad. And Drew and I really believe in like a marriage-centered family. So we're like, we believe we should give each other time and make sure that we have a healthy relationship. So It was like, I don't know, this whole evolution of the way that I thought I had to start questioning why I was feeling so guilty. But like, it's not like it just goes away. Like you kind of work through it. Yes, I agree with you. It it doesn't. And I still experience mom guilt too. And my story is so similar to yours in that sense is I remember barely, yeah, being able to even give myself the time to move my body, which is something I needed so badly, and especially in the beginning. And so I think how we deal with mom guilt, and I've heard this said on this podcast so beautifully in many different ways, is we keep showing up, we keep doing it anyway, right? So, you know, I use the example of if, you know, if you want to go out for a run or, you know, go do something for yourself and you tell your partner like, okay, I'm heading out, I'm going for my run. Even if they so much as like give you that little look that's like, okay, or, you know, kind of give you some passive aggressive sign, which hopefully you're in a place in your relationship where that isn't the case. But I do hear it a lot from women. 
your only job is to just go for the run anyways. You can feel that, you can experience that look from them, and then you can feel the guilt, but you do not have to react to the guilt. It's really hard. But that's also how, by the way, we get beyond things like anxiety, right? Is we let ourselves feel the anxiety and we do the thing anyways. That's what it looks like, Mm -hmm. actually, right? To live in line with our values instead of our fear. Okay. So one thing that Abby really loved about your book is that you're helping your readers take steps needed for personal growth. And we know that one of the important factors that you use with your therapy clients is to look back in order to move forward. Can you coach us through how you help people to do that? Yes, absolutely. So the first place that we can start is thinking about what we were told about ourselves or our roles in the world implicitly or explicitly. So implicitly, like, you know, by accident, the things that we saw on TV or we heard on the news or we saw other people doing the things that were modeled to us. Those are the implicit things that we were told about the world and our role as women and moms. The explicit things are literally what we were told, right? Which is, you know, maybe we heard our mom say, you know, not to harp on moms here, but we heard our own mom or our own, somebody important in our life say, you know, as a mom, you should do it all or your kids need you the most. Wait, can I give you a really good example? Yeah. Okay. So I was raised around so many stay at home moms. And then I just kind of soaked in from all around me that like, that was kind of like the gold standard of motherhood. Yes. And then, so yeah. when I grew up and I became a mom, you know, Drew and I financially, it just made the most sense that I would keep working. And so that is why I think I just had tremendous working mom guilt is because my models were stay-at-home mom. So I was doing something that I hadn't seen that much of. Yes, absolutely. And that's a really good example. And I can really relate to that as well. And so you feel sort of like if you're the only one or there's very few of you, you must be doing something wrong. And that's where we get to go back and think about, okay, what was it that I saw, you know, as a young child? Cause we know so much of what we feel and experience is due to those early childhood experiences. So looking back, starting with that, getting really honest and this part can be hard and then deciding, you know, step two, which is how is that working for me? Like are holding on to those beliefs or those narratives serving me? I say that the answer is usually no, if you're asking that question, right? So for you, that perfect example is, and I guess I can ask you that, like, was that serving you to believe that or to, to experience that guilt around, you know, moms should stay at home, moms shouldn't have a career or whatever it was. No, that was making what I was doing so much harder. So it was like, I had to start working through that and unpacking it to be able to move forward. And I bet in order to do that, you had to tie it to a why, right? You had to tie it to your own, something that you valued more than holding on to that old story. Because we don't let go of old stories unless there's a reason to, right? Unless there's something more compelling. And so for you... I wonder, it must have been more compelling or it must have made more sense for your value system to step into your power, right? As more than a mom. I had three mantras that I would say to myself as I was walking into my nursing job. 
every day. I was like, my benefits are really important to the family. Like that is one of the reasons that I am going to work today. And I just had these things that I would keep repeating, especially on hard days. Like if Max would cry when I dropped him off at daycare, that felt like a dagger to my heart and soul. And so those were the days where I really had to just like repeat, repeat, repeat why I was doing it. That's a great tool. In fact, I think I mentioned that in the book is, and if not, I mention it to my clients all the time, write these things out, like give yourself these mantras that you can live by to help you remember when you get lost. Cause we do, I do this work all the time. And I still, like I said, experience these like moments of guilt. So I have things that I say to myself, mine is I can't want for them what I don't want for myself. And that really helps me step into my whole identity. Mm. I love that. Hey friends, let's take a quick break from our podcast sponsor, which is BetterHelp Online Therapy. As Amy mentioned, I am at home with a sick kiddo this week. And what better way to talk about mental health during Mental Health Awareness Month than when things get thrown at you, like having a sick kiddo in the middle of a work week. We have all been there. It is so hard seeing our kids go through these really tough times, you know, the feeling of the fever as they lay on your lap, um, them not being able to eat anything, even though you're giving them their favorites. It's so hard to see them in such a hard stretch. But are you taking care of yourself? A big point of the Herself podcast is to make sure that you are supporting other people, but supporting yourself during the really hard stretches as well. And that's where BetterHelp Online Therapy can come in. It's an excellent resource because you don't have to wait in waiting rooms. You can get matched with a therapist within 48 hours and the ability to talk with somebody over a video chat, phone call, or in actual chat form makes it so accessible, even for the busiest parent. So we know these times are hard right now. We know things are going to be thrown at us left and right, but taking care of yourself and your needs, that needs to be a priority. Our listeners do get 10% off their first month by going to betterhelp.com backslash herself. Again, that's betterhelp.com backslash herself for 10% off your first month with BetterHelp Online Therapy. One thing that we wanted to talk about during this interview is actually something that my dad has always said to me. He says, the only thing that is certain in life is change. And not only did he say it, but he lived it. Like you could tell that was like one of the main mantras of his life. So I really credit that as a reason that I'm able to kind of go with the flow. And I truly understand like... I cannot be in control of everything, especially during this season of parenthood. So hearing and believing those words really help me to function. And I know in your book, Caitlin, you challenge your reader and their relationship with uncertainty. Can you help us understand your thoughts on uncertainty? Yes, I love this question. So as an anxiety therapist, which by the way, my first specialty area was anxiety. Like I know anxiety personally and clinically like the back of my hand. And so 
what what we've come to realize in the field of anxiety is that the common kind of thread that ties all types of anxiety or worry together is what we call a low tolerance or an intolerance for uncertainty. And here's the thing. Nobody really loves uncertainty unless it's like, ooh, I wonder what, you know, vacation we're going to go on next month or ooh, I wonder what this roller coaster is going to feel like. But in most parts of life, uncertainty feels really scary and it's really hard, you know, which makes perfect sense why your dad's sort of mantra or his sentiments were so helpful. The more that we can accept uncertainty as the only certain part of life. I think I said that in that chapter on uncertainty, which is the only thing certain in life is uncertainty itself. And gosh, we've lived that the last couple of years. So when we are able to not love uncertainty, but accept uncertainty as just another part of life, we have so much more freedom to actually be present and to live our life in a way that lines up with our values. I keep coming back to that because I think it's so important. And some ways that we, and I get really kind of tactical about this in the book, some ways that we can practice being with uncertainty because it's not easy is by actually purposely bringing uncertainty into our life. We can do that by trying to, I use the example of even just taking a different route to work or taking a different walk than you normally would. Or, you know, when you want to react because something didn't go the way that you thought it would, when you want to react in a certain way, kind of challenge yourself to respond in a way that's different. There's lots of different ways we can practice being with uncertainty, but the point is, is it's the most important thing I think we can do. It also increases something called psychological flexibility. And when we have, you know, higher psychological flexibility, we are able to deal with life's challenges better. That's just true. So when things like, you know, pandemics come up or when things like, you know, changes in our child's you know, health or wellness comes up, we're able to be a little bit more flexible and think of solutions instead of just really staying stuck in that yucky, icky feeling. Well, yeah, I think that parenthood in general is just like this plunge into uncertainty because there's always things coming up. Abby's husband, Colin, and I were just both talking to Abby about this. Both of our kids are sick right now. And Colin at one point and me at a different point had said, I just wasn't expecting this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, yeah, like no one expects to have to miss multiple days of work, but that's kind of, it comes with the territory sometimes, but we understand that it is very, very difficult for a lot of people, ourselves included. Yes. It's so hard. And, you know, I have a really hard time with it too. And I've gotten better, but I was just talking with my mom about this on mother's day. I was saying what we were reflecting on some of the harder parts of early motherhood. And I said, the hardest thing for me, I remember clearly was not knowing what the night was going to look like, not knowing how much sleep I was going to get, not knowing if the baby was going to cry and I wasn't going to be able to soothe her, you know, that felt unmanageable to me. And I did have some postpartum anxiety, So I know what it feels like. And so, gosh, there's nothing like parenthood and motherhood to prepare you for or to help you get good at being uncertain. That's for sure. I know when Abby opened your book, it was one of the very first lines that gave her pause. She has been trying a new exercise and she's been telling me a lot about it where she is trying to listen more to her intuition. As you guys know, she's been going through some health symptoms and one of her care providers 
told her that her intuition is screaming to come out and that she shouldn't continue to ignore her own words. And she added this note that that might sound a little bit woo for some people (laughs) and that her husband kind of jokes with her about it, but it's changing her for the best. Like she is starting to listen to what comes up for her. So she knows that so many people in the community, they're not going to want to look back 20 or 40 years from now and just wish that they had done things differently, maybe had done the things that their intuition is trying to scream at them to do. So could you coach our audience through a few ways that they can start to be with themselves and listen to what is important? It's a hard thing, isn't it, to be with ourselves and listen to our intuition. And so I love that Abby is walking through this practice because it is a practice. So, you know, for me, I'm a person who's go, go, go. I'm always moving. And I realized through my own kind of therapy and growth journey that I too was ignoring so much of my own experience. You know, I call this self-abandonment. And so some places that we can start are making sure, you know, that we have set aside time for ourselves to just be with ourselves and our thoughts. I know, again, it does sound woo-woo, but it is the most powerful thing that we can do. And here's how, you know, there's different ways for different people, but some options or some things that I tell my clients, set aside just a couple of minutes each morning with their warm cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is, just sit, see if you can just listen to the sound of the birds or whatever's going on outside, or maybe it's even the sound of the kids, you know, crying or screaming. But this idea that you're just giving yourself time and space to just be with your thoughts. You can use a meditation app. There's so many ones, you know, nowadays that you can use, but you don't have to. Even if you just practice, I think start small. So start with like one, two, three minutes, you know, so many people tell me I'm not good at meditating because my mind is so busy. And I say, well, good. That's the point. Mine too. We practice, we start small, we start practical. And it's not about sitting without thoughts. It's about sitting with your thoughts and just letting them be there. Because if we never take the time to slow down and give ourselves the chance to listen, we miss out on so much of our own, you know, inner wisdom and so much of the insight that we already know. I say this a lot, I think in the book, which is We need to turn inward sometimes before we turn outward. We need that time and space to do that. But if we keep running and going and moving, we never have the time and space to do that. You know, that's really interesting because there's three places where I can tell like what my soul and what my intuition actually feels. I'll tell you what they are. One is when I'm running, but I'm not listening to anything. So it's like literally just like that is meditation to me. Yes, I'm moving, but like I just feel like I'm speaking from the inside. Another one, shower with no music. So it's like, I think what happens to women nowadays is we fill our ears with so much noise that we forget to check in with what we are saying. And the third one is when I'm driving, I won't listen to anything and I'll just see like what comes up for me. Yes. I love all those things. So same for me. I just stopped listening to music or podcasts when I run for this reason, because I have lost pretty much these last couple of months. Like I've lost so much time for myself and the little that I already had. And then I realized that 
movement has always been something that's been meditative for me. And if I cut out the noise that I could actually just listen to myself at first, it was really hard. It sounded horrible. And now I really look forward to it. And then the shower is the same. And I always joke, my husband, he commutes to work and he tells me this. He tells me that he doesn't listen to anything. He just sits in silence. And I always thought that was so strange because I'm a music person. But now I get why. I think it's this idea of there's just so much noise in the world. We need to find the space, you know, to hear our own intuition. And it's a beautiful thing when we give ourselves that space. Yeah, like definitely listen to our podcasts, but then take a break sometimes. (laughs) Well, there's so many I want to listen to, right? And that is my challenge. Like you is like, I have so many things I want to hear, but we do, we need to give ourselves the space to just have nothing for a little bit so we can take in that stuff better, right? And be more effective with the information that we're getting. So Caitlin, a common theme in your book is to live by your values. And like you said, like this is thrown around a lot. I know that we've talked about it a lot before, but you say that if you're living by your values, like that is one of the best ways to avoid regret and live a joyful-ish life. Mm -hmm. So could you tell us how you coach women to start to clarify their own values so that they can enjoy their lives a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. So Again, there are so many different ways that you can do values, determination exercises, and I love them all. There are lots of really great ones. I like to ask myself or my clients this one question, which is, imagine it is your 70th birthday and you're sitting around and people are sharing what they love about you the most or what they admire about you the most. What do you hope they will say? And this isn't going to lead you like directly to your values because they're probably going to be like something along the lines of, you know, for me, it's like, I hope people say, Caitlin really cared deeply about other people. She, you know, made an impact in the space of my life and also in mental health. And so what that shows me through kind of reflecting back on what those people might say about me is what I value, which is connection creativity, wellness. And so if we can start to think about what we hope people see in us, it really gives us a clear idea of what we actually value. Another good way to do it is to think about someone that we really admire, whether they're, you know, in our actual life or there's somebody in the kind of public sphere of things and what qualities do they possess? What values do you imagine that they live by? Those are really simple ways to go about it. Ooh, I like that. I always like to think about how to live by my values. And that was like a really clear piece of like, what would I want people to say about me? Yes. And I love the value cards exercises. I think those are really great and they're really clear, but there's something really cool in doing a little bit more reflection because, you know, sometimes we realize that we're actually living in line with what we think we should value or like what's going to kind of get us this short-term feelings of, you know, happiness or joy, but that aren't actually serving us in the long-term. And so we think about how we're filling our day and our time. And sadly, a lot of times it's not with things that line up with our values. And I think once we can get really honest about that and clear on what that is, then we can kind of go from there. 
on the flip side of that too, like when I was wishing my mom a happy Mother's Day, I made sure to be very specific about the things that I was really thankful that she instilled in me and taught to me. And that's something that I really try to do when I'm you know, talking to someone I love. So I think that's inspiring for all of us to think like next time we're saying something to someone, like really think about the whys behind why they're so important to you. Cause it just makes people feel so good to hear that. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that you probably know from listening to this podcast is that Abby and I have done a lot of work on feeling our emotions. It's the central theme in a lot of our episodes. And we've read books like Glennon Doyle's book, Brene Brown's, as part of our Patreon book club. We know that you're also big fans of those authors and their approach to feelings. One thing you mentioned is instead of moving past your feelings, you want to move with it and through it. Can you explain what this looks like? Yes. So I do love those authors. They are my sheroes, all of them. And so moving through our feelings is different than moving past. You know, a lot of us heard growing up, you know, just, you know, keep on going or don't cry or it's going to be okay. Those things just minimize. They teach us to, you know, stuff it down and move on or kind of, you know, what's the saying, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. And so those things, don't actually teach us anything about the very human experience of having emotions. And so moving through our feelings is step one, thinking about what it is we're actually feeling and giving it a name, you know, name the feeling, which a lot of us don't even know how to do. So start learning how to name your feelings. Then the second step is acknowledge the feeling, validate the feeling. And how you do that is by saying like, it's okay to feel exactly what I feel, even if it's anger, which by the way, is something that, you know, for some reason, we women have been taught that we're not supposed to feel. And so validate your feeling as a very human, normal emotion. And then thinking about like, once you do that, you're more free to think about what do I actually need to move through this feeling to cope with this feeling. Sometimes for me, it's just, I need to walk away and get some space. I need to be alone. I need to take a deep breath. I need to go for a run or I just need some time to let this be here. And so when we're honoring our feeling, we're actually kind of doing all three of those steps, which is, you know, acknowledging, naming, validating, and then figuring out how we're going to deal and cope. I love that you said that about anger. I've been trying to tell people that I'm like, why does that get such Mm. a bad rap? It's like, it's normal to feel angry sometimes. And I feel like as women, we try to talk ourselves out of that. Yes. I think it's because it feels so uncomfortable to us when we experience and experience it. And then when other people are experiencing it, it makes them feel like, remember when they felt it and it just feels so big. And it's just not something that we talk about. I wrote a piece for scary mommy called what to do when you're about to lose your shit or something like that. And I talk about my own story of recently yelling at my kids, like I lost it. And I yelled, I'm going to throw your swear word iPad out the window. And it was not my proudest mom moment, but I was really triggered. And I had to learn how to move through those feelings of anger, which I experienced a lot in motherhood, by the way. And my first step was like accepting that I felt it and validating it. 
and then figuring out how to repair from there, which is, of course, apologizing and recognizing that like I wasn't getting my needs met that day. And that's why I responded in that way. Yeah. My therapist was like, Amy, your goal can't be that you're perfect. So Mm -hmm. like you're trying to never yell at your kids and like, sometimes you're going to. Yes. And that's okay. You can repair and you guys can move past it, but like you're being so hard on yourself. I love that therapist for giving you that advice because I think your goal and my goal and all of our goals should be when I do yell or when I do get upset, what do I need and how can I repair that rupture and repair is such an important process. For sure. Okay. I'm going to end on this one. It's something that our listeners have heard me say a million times, and it's actually a shared mantra that we both love. That is to be where your feet are. Mm -hmm. I have this quote framed in my office, but I know that presence is something that we hear over and over again is so hard for our community. So for those that struggle at remaining present, What are your tips for how they can bring their thoughts and themselves back to their current moment? I would start with that mantra. I would start with some thought or something that you can tell yourself. For me and you, it is be where my feet are. Another one I love, I think it's some version of Oprah saying this, which is in this moment, I am well. So starting with a mantra or a thing you can tell yourself to bring yourself back into the present. Sometimes people can't tap into their thoughts before they tap into their body. And that's really important to know as well. So if you might need to take a deep breath first, and I think either way, it has to be, what am I thinking and what is happening with my body? So can you get connected to your thoughts and can you get connected to what's happening with your body? Literally feeling your feet on the floor or picking something on the wall to look at, right? We really want to get centered in our senses and remind ourselves that in this moment, we are actually just here and we are okay. One thing that I've really worked on is my husband and I do really value like going away for the weekend from our kids, you know, hopefully a couple times a year. And I used to just feel so guilty about it, or I used to just miss them so much that a lot of my focus would be that. And now I'm really good at just being present with my husband and being away. And kind of some of the feedback that we get sometimes is like easier said than done. And I'm (laughs) wait, 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 it's not easy. (laughs) Like it wasn't easy. It was like continuing, even when I was uncomfortable, like continuing to go and just every time, like practice being a little bit more present where I was. Yes. Yes. That is so true because I remember three years ago when I wasn't so good at this yet, and I'm still practicing all the time. I remember I actually made my husband, we changed our flight home from Hawaii. We were there for a wedding because I was feeling so guilty and I Mm. missed the kids so much, but I And then as soon as I got home, I was like, oh, I wish I was back in Hawaii. And so since that moment, that was another one of my kind of aha moments, I realized that I needed to really practice being present and that everything we do for ourselves or as a unit, as a couple, is actually benefiting our kids. So I love that example. And it's so relatable. It is a practice, though. It's not like you or I have some special turn off button that we turn off our mom guild. It's that we actually are just practicing getting more used to doing the things that we need to do or want to do anyways. 
Exactly. It's six years of practice now for me. And like you said, your child is school age too. So I think a lot of the moms listening when they have, you know, two or three year olds or babies, they're like, how do you guys even do that? And it's like, no, no, no. I was feeling the way you're feeling, or I was changing my flight, but now yes, I've worked on it. Yes. It takes time. It takes commitment and practice. And this is where I have to say, you know, I know we're talking about my book here, but I just had the opportunity to talk with Eve Rodsky who wrote Fair Play in Unicorn Space. And I think those books are like, if there were a how to be a mom school, I think they're fundamental for us these days and pointing out how important it is. And, you know, and I'll add my book in there because I think my book really helps give us the agency and the self-worth to know that we deserve the time and space for ourselves. And then those books really help us figure out how to actually, you know, step into that. And I know that you've had Eve on the podcast and it was such a wonderful episode, but I just wanted to throw that out Yeah, there. Yeah. I've gotten to interview her twice and she is just so amazing. And so are you. So please, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you, Caitlin. Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at wellnotes for her. That's where I hang out most. You can also buy my book, A Little Less of a Hot Mess, on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. You can also find it in bookstores. You can request it in your local bookstore. And you can find me on my website where I actually am starting to do some individual consulting again at wellnotesforher.com. And I have a ton of mental health resources that are free on there as well. Okay, perfect. You guys heard it from Caitlin. If you liked this episode, we would be so honored if you shared it to your Instagram story, tagging well notes for her and herself podcast so we can see it. Thanks so much for listening. 